The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. of movies, but you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is wonderfully weird. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. It's fabulously freaky. It's a trip to transsexual Transylvania. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. The story is strange. But tonight is the night that my beautiful creature is destined to be born. The songs are super. The scenery is smashing. The cast is completely crazy. This isn't the junior chamber of commerce, Brad. There's a mad scientist named Frank N. Furter. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. And Rocky, his incredible creature. with a bad crowd, but it was worse than I imagined. A sinister servant named Riff Raff. I remember doing the time war. And Brad and Janet. My name's Brad Majors. Just a couple of clean-cut kids. This is my fiance, Janet Weiss. Touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me. I wanna be dirty. Eddie. Magenta. When shall we depart the Pennsylvania? Huh? Columbia. <laughs> Dr. Scott. Great Scott! So give yourself over to absolute pleasure. Don't See the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is wonderfully weird. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo. And I'm your co-host, Kyle. Otherwise known as Street Trash. I mean, Riff Rap. I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. Open Street Trash Uh, in the cash. Today we'll be talking about the uh, the cult classic uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975. Kyle, this came out even two years before I was born. Awesome. Um, Kyle, usually I give you a um, a question. Mm -hmm. So today I I did something a little differently. Um, The Rocky Horror Picture Show... uh, 
no matter where you look, is probably the number one cult classic of all time on any list you do. If not number one, definitely number two. Probably, yeah, the most cult but, of cult classics. But most, yeah. most of all the ones I saw, uh, it was number one. And it was such a big cult classic that even growing up downtown Indianapolis, um, I used to live close there and you'd drive by and down there by Crackers Comedy Club, there would be a big old banner on the side that says Rocky Horror Picture Show every Saturday night at midnight yep. or Friday at midnight, whatever it was. Yep. So this thing went on and it's still going on, I'm sure, in cities across the country. My dad went to those shows. Yeah. i never been to myself. Toast. Someday. Toast. Okay. <laughs> but Kyle, here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. Out of the top 10 cult classics, I want to see how many you can name and then I'll go through starting at number 10 and go all the way down to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So give me some movies that you think are cult classics that are on the top 10 list right here. Uh, Toxic Avenger? No. <laughs> um, Wayne's World? No. Um, Blues Brothers? No. <laughs> this is going to go a bad list. Bro. <laughs> this is a bad idea. <laughs> we want to see what Kyle thinks is a cult classic. Uh I have no idea. All right, number 10, Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. Oh, gosh, really? Okay, I don't know. Number nine, Phantom of the Paradise. Never heard of it. Number eight, The Evil Dead from 1981. Is there a cult plant? Really? Okay, okay. Number seven was Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh, Number six, Harold and Maude, which we've talked about this movie that... It looks interesting. I don't. I, I want to watch I, it before. I, I, I never knew about school class, but we watched the trailer. I, I like, want to watch the it. Craziest just to, thing ever. Yeah, because it's about like an, a sixty or seventy year old lady and like a twenty year old boy. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, five was Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Uh, four, a movie we have covered recently, Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah, cult classic. That's weird. Number three, yeah. this is Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Two, The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski, yeah. And number one, the Rocky Horror Picture. So um, they're now, according to, that was, I think, that was Rolling Stone's list. Uh, on IMDb, it has Rocky Horror Picture Show as Fort Rink number 14. And I was like, I don't know if I agree with that. Mm. Uh, but number one on theirs was Clockwork Orange. Number two was Pulp Fiction. And number three was Fight Club. So uh, also there was. Uh, some of the cult agree class- with Fight Club, <laughs> uh, but some of the other classics that were on these lists was Princess Bride, which whatever. But uh, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, that, that, that is definitely a cult that classic. I can definitely I see. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it kind of gets weird, like what you define as a cult classic for me. Like it has to be like some aspect of like financially underperforming, and then also like how rabid the fan base has been in the years following, and. the uh, Gosh, I don't know. Like for me, Rocky Horror actually kind of pops out like even more than like this is Final Tap or something like that. Right. Too. And that's why I include like Wayne's World of Blues Brothers because I know those have extreme followings to this day. But that's fine. Um, but I mean, this movie is still being shown today across America. Oh, I'm oh, sure yeah, somewhere. Yeah, no, no, I, I, and I, I how think, can you not Rocky this Horror, not be number one? This, yeah, honestly, this is truly a number one. Like this has the most culty of cult followings. <laughs> like <laughs> the people who movie. are diehard Rocky Horror are diehard Rocky fans. Right. Like, nothing else really matters besides Rocky Horror, and I, I love that about them. That's, um, that's so great. when this comes <laughs> out, Kyle. We were just are just three days away from our live show at the Boone County Distillery in Jill. Um, hope everybody can come out and uh, enjoy a night of fun. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, gonna be fun. Candy. Um, also, um, Kyle and I were a guest host. I'm not sure when this is coming out. I think it's it might be out now, but it might be out a couple days from now. But we were uh, guest uh, as part of the Hillbilly Horror Stories Halloween special, like we are pretty much every year. Yeah. So please go over there, check them out, follow Jerry and Tracy. We love those guys. And it's just honored to be part of their yeah. um, we show little, once again. A little mini-soda on there yeah. for you guys. Which, that. speaking of the mini-soda, we will be dropping our full-length version of that mini-soda on Halloween. Um, there will be a special uh, episode drop of the original House of Wax starring the late, great Vincent Price. So be on the lookout <laughs> for that. Let's go see Vincent Gilligan. <laughs> Greater uh-huh. Breaking Bad, Vincent Gilligan. I was going to say Vincent Gilligan. Really? It really was. It really was. So, Kyle, this is um, probably going to be a little bit of a longer episode so because uh, there's just so much stuff. So go ahead and take it away. There truly is. Okay, so we have the Rocky Horror Picture Show released on August 14th. <laughs> you know what? I was just thinking, yeah. if we were on YouTube, I would have you put up like a uh, a black uh, poster board and paint your lips and let you do the whole podcast. The whole, with just whole podcast just like, like that. Like the opening of the show. Uh, I'd probably let you do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the lips. Just the lips. The whole podcast. Just a video of me with lips. And that's just, man, a girl, who knows? Uh, 
And uh, don't forget, uh, Kyle and I will be dressing up as well as ADZs for our live show. Mm-hmm. And we, I will be doing a, a video log, a vlog of Kyle's transformation into Uncle Fester because I believe uh, the day this comes out, uh, we will be going to get his head shaved and yeah. eyebrows off and everything. So this is going to be fun. I, I, I got to figure out how to do the makeup right to actually paint my face a little bit because I want to do that white makeup thing, but I don't know how well it's going to work. So I got to, I got to get advice on that one. But I'm definitely going to do at least the head shave and eyebrow shave and full eyebrow shaving. I can't off. wait till you go to work. For that. And see what, what's your dad going to say? I have no idea. I haven't told him. <laughs> oh, no. Just show up, just yeah. show up back home with I, I, the Uncle Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I thought that would be a fun surprise to him to come home like that in the middle of the day. It's like, hey, Bo. <laughs> what's up, Dad? <laughs> exactly. So, uh... Yeah. Anyway, it's back to the movie podcast because we, we got a lot to cover. Um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show was released on August 14th of 1975, directed by Jim Sharman, written by Richard O'Brien and Jen Sharman for the original, music, the original musical play and the screenplay adaptation, of course. Produced by Michael White. Cinematography was by Peter Sijitsky. And editor was Graham Clifford. And casting director was Joe Thurm. Budget for the film was $1.2 million in 1975, just for inflation that'd be um, more, because I forgot to do the inflation calculation before I recorded the podcast because I wanted to rush into this too poorly, but <laughs> that's okay. So budget for $1.2 million, um, we can take a wild stab and say that was probably, uh, from the previous stuff I've done for, I'm going to say that's about three uh, maybe 3.5 million dollars roughly today but to get to the big big money we got the gross worldwide which goes all the way to an astounding 115.3 million dollars Jimbo I I believe it's got to be way more than that now I mean that'd be at least I mean and in for inflation to today I mean assuming that's an, oh, this is box office as of 10 9 23 so that's I'm assuming including box service from the past 30 years. But that's just box so office. This could be like the final, like, um, this could actually be the final kind of adjustment for inflation, actually, including inflation. Because if this was like 1975 money, then it's like half a billion dollars, in which case there would have been a hundred Rocky Horror Picture films. <laughs> um, but for probably the lifetime of the film, this makes sense as the final number, maybe. As like, it's made $150 million for all the cinemas it's been played at for the past. Okay, but let's years. say the Rocky Horror uh, Picture as a franchise. You had the remake in 2016, which we'll talk about. But you also had... It was also a Broadway musical. I, I don't know if it was on Broadway, I but it was a musical. Was you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, it's probably well on its way to over a billion dollars easily. Oh. Total. DVD, VH, all that stuff. Well, that, that's, this is before inflation, so I actually could see like around $200 million probably. But that's just that box office. But I'm yeah, talking box about office, merchandise. Merchandise and all that. Okay, it's yeah. got to be over a billion dollars easily. A billion dollars. That's, that's a lot for me. But Let we'll me say, look you know, up. Let me look it up. We, I, don't, I don't know if you can find those final numbers really anywhere, but I, I agree with you. It's the, I can easily see half a billion dollars for a lifetime, like earnings for this whole property. You know, insane money in that way, but regardless. I'm going to keep moving forward while Jimbo picks up um, his um, uh, uh, money number there. So, a um, quick little plot summary of the film there is like, a newly engaged couple have a breakdown in an isolated area and must seek shelter in the bizarre residence of Darken Frank- Dr. Frankenfurter, um, a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> um, moving on here, we're going to go to some of the um, awards for the film where we have three wins and four nominations. Um, for 2005, it was added to the National Film Preservation Board to be um, remembered forever as a reserved kind of media collection. In 2001, it had the DVD exclusive awards where it was nominated for Best DVD Overall Original Supplemental Material and nominated for the Best DVD Menu Design of the 2001 menu there. So actually, like I said, one of the earlier DVDs to come out just in general. In 2000, the year 2000, for the Las Vegas Films Critics Society Awards, it was nominated for Best DVD for the 25th Anniversary Edition. And then in 1980, it was um, it won the Hall of Fame Award for the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. And in 1976, it was nominated, and this is a, a really kind of a, an interesting category to be nominated for, but for the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, Horror Films Awards, it was nominated for Best Horror Film, actually. So that's a, a little interesting right there, too, to consider this even a horror film in general, where it's like, it's comedy musical and horror is like... A very distant third in my book. I would not describe this movie as very horrifying at all, even though there is some brutal murder, I guess. But neither here nor there. Um, moving on to some technical details of the film. This film has a runtime of just 100 minutes. I actually cut down a little bit to like 98 minutes for the United States cuts. 
sound mix. This has a chase surround mix for the remix for the video releases, um, a mono recording for the 35mm optical prints, and a four-track stereo cut for the 35mm magnetic prints. Color info, this was a color film, but used the Eastman color technical system. So that kind of gives a, you kind of a unique color system. Not, not a technicolor, but not like a current color we have now. Eastman color just has, I guess, more of a muted aesthetic, I would say, to some degrees. But captured reds very vibrantly. Aspect ratio, this has a 1.66 by 1 ratio um, for the DVD and negative ratio. Whereas the theatrical ratio had a very standard 1.85 by 1. Laboratory used was the Deluxe USA Print Laboratory and the Rank Film Laboratories in Dunham, UK for the film processing. Film length overall, this has a film length of 2,720 meters for the Italian cut. And then process used spherical and the course printed format was a standard 35 millimeters there. Um, some of the aspects of the filming locations right here. This film was majority, it was entirely filmed in England, UK, including the Down Place Oakley Green Berkshire, the Oakley Green Berkshire, UK, and the Bray Studios Down Place in Oakley Green Berkshire. And so actually it's more and more continually uh, specific there. It's like Oakley Court, Windsor Road, Oakley Green, Windsor, Berkshire, England. So in, from entirely in the UK for that part. Um, filming dates also include, um, the filming dates were between October 21st, 1974 to October 19th, 1974 so incredibly brief filming schedule overall there too so good note on there now moving on to the bigger part for sure the cast list um jimbo how are you doing on your search for the budget right there right before i get into it well i was looking for not the budget but i was looking at dvd sales or vh so H- oh yeah lifetime kind of, but it was going you know, by revenue. week so i it was going in like four million a week for like that those week two weeks that i was oh, looking wow. at so 40 years, 50 some weeks a year, it adds up. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I easily over half a billion, nearly a billion, sure, I could easily see that. And that's you know? not even merchandise. So. That, yeah, and once again, like, I, I don't know, like, how you can quantify merchandise because, like, I'm sure there's got to be so much knockoff merchandise they sell. Well, and how long, was, on, how long was it in the theater? Not theater, but the the theater, not yeah, the yeah. theater, mm-hmm. but the, you know. The actual theater, theater. Yeah. Um, I don't know, actually, if, like, yeah, the distinction feels almost arbitrary at some point because at some point like actual theaters that have musical plays would also play the movie and have like performers do stuff I imagine so it's a kind of a weird distinction there at that point where it's like they kind of blended in a weird way where the film and the musical are inseparable so that's kind of interesting as well um, so first up for the cast list though we're going to move on to of course the legendary Tim Curry playing Tim Curry Tim, Tim Curry playing Dr. Frankenfurter a scientist um, Tim Curry is easily most recognizable for, um, well, this role is kind of like his, his big breakout in many respects, um, but also easily for Pennywise in the movie It in 1990, and uh, also in Wad- uh, playing the character of Wadsworth in um, Clue in 1985. Um, he was also in the film Congo in 1995, and he was in some great video games where he played um, Diviculus in the 2009 game Brutal Legend. Love that. And he was Premier Cherdeco in Command & Conquer 3. Um, Command and Conquer Red Alert 3 in 2008. <laughs> I will finally escape from the one place not corrupted by communism. Space! It's, it's a great, funny meme. Um, then next up, we have Susan Sarandon playing the role of Janet Weiss, a heroine. Susan Sarandon, of course, is an amazing actress in herself. I believe she's like been like nominated like seven or nine times for Emmys at this point, or something crazy like that. Um, Susan Sarandon, probably easily most recognizable nose, playing the role of Louise in Thumb on Louise in 1991. Little Women in 1994, Dead Man Walking in 1995, Stepmom in 1998, and Atlantic City in 1980. So an amazing career in herself, too. She also she was the um, the main um, baddie in the last um, Blue Beetle movie that just came out, I believe, earlier this year. So good for her on that, too. Um, I think she had some really cringy dialogue, though. I just watched like the Honest trailer for Blue Beetle yesterday, and it was very funny, but also looks like Susan Sarandon was really phoning it in. <sighs> Um, next up, we have Barry Boswick playing the role of Brad Majors, a hero. Barry Boswick um, um, also had a lot of film roles in his own right, where he was in the one of Jimbo's favorite movies, Waking at Bernie's 2, yes, in 1993, where he was kind of playing like the major bad guy in that film. Uh, he was also in the film Spy Hard in 1996, and Megaforce in 1982, and he was also in the TV series Spin City from 1996 and ni- in 2002. Spin City, was that the one with... Um, Michael J. Fox mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, right. So, yeah, he played the mayor, I believe, in the um, Spin City show as well. So he was in there for the entire show. 
So cool there. Next up, we have Richard Bryan. Richard O'Brien, of course, the um, original actor, the, the writer for the screenplay, the creator, if you will, for the entire um, show overall. So, of course. And he's playing the role of Riff Raff in this movie. Um, Riff Raff is a handyman. <laughs> yeah. Richard O'Brien was also in the films um, Dark City in 1988, 1998. And I believe he was also the writer and like main star in the film Shock Treatment in 1981. And, and he, Shock Treatment's going to appear a few He's also well. the father in Phineas and Ferb. Oh, that's the awesome. Disney cartoon. Yeah, the Disney cartoon. So awesome there too. So Richard Ryman has a an amazing career in his own right too. As well as a mini director too. Like the like if they weren't doing like films or television, they were still doing roles in like musical and uh, also like you know dance and musical work like that too. So good work on them too. Next up we have Patricia Quinn playing the role of Magenta, a domestic. Patricia Quinn was also in the films The Lords of Salem in 2012, Shock Treatment in 1981, and Shootout in 1971. Then next up, we have Neil Campbell playing the role of Columbia, a groupie. Um, Neil Campbell was also in the film Shock Treatment in 1981, Jubilee in 1978, and Journey Among Women in 1977. Next up, we have Jonathan Adams playing Dr. Everett Scott, a rival scientist. Jonathan Adams um, was in the show Star Cops in 1987 and was in the film Jesus of Nazareth in 1977. Next, next up, we got Peter Henwood playing the role of Rocky Horror, a creation, you know, the titular Rocky Horror, if you will. Um, Peter Henwood was also in the film um, um, Sebastian in 1976 and Tam Lin in 1970. He was actually a mainly a, a, a photographer and a model. Um, for most of his career, so very little film work overall there. But of course, he was easily most recognizable for this role in our character show. So that was one kind of major role here. Then next up, we have Meatloaf playing the role of Eddie, the ex-livery boy. Um, Hop to the Yeah, yeah. Uh, Meatloaf is, of course, easily most well known for his role as being you know, the 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 um, rock singer Meatloaf, and for his um, "Bad Out of Hell" album trilogy from 1977, 93, and 2006, and many other amazing tracks, and just a, an amazing performer overall. So a lot of great tracks there going there um, for his entire legacy there. Unfortunately, he just passed away last year, and uh, I kind of miss him. <laughs> he was just great. Um, Meatloaf also appeared in many other great films, such as uh, Fight Club in 1999, another, you know, the ultimate cult classic according to that list. <laughs> um, and uh, Leap of Faith in 1992 with Steve Martin. And he played the um, the the, um, the big baddie in the film Black Dog in 1998, one of, also one of my favorite um, meatloaf movie roles. So that's a great film in itself. Probably cover Black Dog sometime. That would be a good film too. Um, yep, but moving on from Meatloaf, we have Charles Gray playing the role of the criminologist, uh, an expert. Charles Gray um, was also in the film Diamonds Are Forever in 1971. The James Bond film? Uh, I believe so. Diamonds Are Forever. Yep, that is James Bond. Um, Jeremy Newson was all, um, played the role of Ralph Hapshet. Um, Jeremy Newson was also in the film McCabe and Mrs. Miller in 1971. That could have been a TV show as well. I'm not sure. Um, Hilary Farr played the role of Betty Monroe. Hilary Farr was also in the film The Return in 1980. And that's where we're going to conclude the cast list there for the Rock Era Picture Show. There's a bunch of other um, actors who appeared as kind of like the um, the main like time warp scene as just a Transylvanian. And so I don't want to like misplace who I put them in, like which roles of the film, or like go through the whole list of what other films they've been in because it'd be like one other role and then skip, one other role and then skip, and just take up a lot of time here in the podcast. So I'm going to move right. on from them. But that concludes the cast list of, uh, of Rock Picture Show. Oh, wait. Sorry, one last one. We have a um, Trevor White who played the voice of the Rocky Horror creation. So he did the voiceover dub yeah, for uh, uh, Peter Hinwood's yes. um, you know, model work because he wasn't a singer. So All right, Kyle. From there. Brace yourself. Trivia ahoy. We're about to go to the time warp. <laughs> Let's do it so, again. So, Kyle, there's a famous singer that wanted to play Dr. Frankenfurter. Do you know who it was? Whew, there's a lot of great performers that could have played that role. But who is it, Jim? Who do you think? Who do you think it was? Judas Priest. Mick Jagger. <laughs> Mick Jagger. That would have been amazing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh man. man. That would have been amazing. Uh, Oakley Court, Dr. Frankenfurter's Castle, was used in numerous Hammer horror movies made at adjacent Brace Studios where the lab and ballroom scenes were shot, including The House in Nightmare Park, The Reptile, The Brides of Dracula, and The Man in Black. Built in 1859, it was refurbished in 1981 and converted into a hotel road trip. Oh, wow. Yeah, right now, road trip. We'll, Let's go. We'll no planes, back. just straight driving, just through the, through the ocean. Uh, aside from the chemical symbols scrawled on the lab wall next to the control panel, there is a grocery list calling for flour, eggs, bread, sugar, and two hypodermics. 
Every 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 two weeks, I gotta go. You know, the longer. opening number science fiction double feature contains references to many classic science fiction movies, which we'll list here later on. That, um, but in the script, the credits were to be shown between clips of the movies. Producer designer Brian Thompson disliked the idea and suggested using a pair of disembodied lips to mouth the words inspired by the Man Ray painting. And uh, I will. Butcher this, but a hair day observatoria less Ameritrex. <laughs> Nailed it, Jimbo. First um, try. Do you remember Dr. Everett Scott where he's in the uh, wheelchair and he comes to the door and they do that magnetic thing where he's they take him around and yeah. up the stairs on it? Unfortunately, the set for uh, set builders forgot to put a door in the lab, so that's why he came crashing through the wall. <laughs> that's fantastic. Make do with what you got. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, a stunt double was used for the motorcycle scenes, except for the close-ups, which we'll talk about the, the that whole motorcycle scene because there was some crazy stuff that happened. But when you see Meatloaf, um, he was actually pushed in a wheelchair for those scenes, and he had they had handlebars and a fake windshield, so he's in a wheelchair and they're dragging him around like that <laughs> instead of being hilarious. on a motorcycle. Right? Yeah. Uh, Peter Henwood couldn't sing well during the soundtrack sessions. A session singer was used for Rocky Horror's part. Hen would mime the vocals during filming. In post-production, writer and director Jim Sharman uh, wanted to change Rocky Horror's voice and hired Australian actor and singer Trevor White to dub the final vocals for this movie. Uh, White was interviewed for the 2002 book Rocky Horror from concept to cult. Here's one that I told Kyle about earlier that would have been pretty interesting too. Steve Martin auditioned for the role of Brad Majors. And I told him if he was in it, then, of course, Mark Short should have been Riff Raff. I think and that would have been, been a hilarious really cool that movie. would have been a very different film at that point, too. Then, at that point, it's like a higher-budget comedy movie that like everyone kind of like would enjoy. I don't think it would have the same cult following it would have if like Steve Martin right. and Mark Short joined. You never know. It, well, it just would have brought a much bigger, like more mainstream crowd to it, I think. But this is yeah. in 1975, so they may not have had all their movies and been as famous as they are now. I look at the timeline, but still, Steve Martin right. and Martin Short, come on. That's a classic already. Uh, <laughs> When this movie first opened, it had a traditional release with afternoon and early evening screenings. It bombed. Meatloaf said he attended an opening week performance with writer and director Jim Sharman in the Midwest, and the theater was empty except for them. That's amazing. <laughs> midnight yeah. screenings became popular in the mid-70s, and word of mouth began to spread that the Midnight audience might enjoy this movie. So, man, how would you feel if you did a movie and... <laughs> You're the <laughs> only people there in the theater when you go... It's kind of like crowds. this podcast where we're the only two listening. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, wait, wait. You listen. I, you, I, I listen to podcasts. <laughs> it's all Jimbo. Uh, that, that, now, Kyle, this is one of the most interesting facts I found about this movie. I think it could have worked. But this movie was originally intended to be shown in black and white until Dr. Frankenfurter's entrance, and then only his lips would be in color. Oh, the rest wow. would still be in black and white. At the end of Sweet Transvestite, it would go immediately to color, and it was supposed to stay in color up until the superhero song. 20th Century Fox included a, a similar cut as an Easter egg on the 25th anniversary DVD of this movie, but it was slightly different from what was specified in the original screenplay. It was black and white up until Riff Rap opens the door, revealing the Transylvanians, at which point it cut immediately to color film. Many fans consider this to be lazy, pointing out that the original intended uh, effect could have easily been achieved via colorization techniques. In a 2014 interview at the Florida Film Festival, Susan Sarandon talked about the fact that Rocky Orb was originally supposed to start out in black and white and then switch to color, and said that it didn't happen because the production didn't have the money to process the film that way. She also said that, coincidentally, the same thing happened to another movie she had made many years or later, Lorenzo's Oil. Of course, the most famous example of this type of black and white to color transition is the movie Watt Kyle from 1939. Oh, uh, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, in which the initial scenes set in Kansas are in black and white, and the movie only switches to colored once Dorothy ends up in the land of Oz, which... How do you feel about that transition? I think that could have worked amazingly. Um, I, I, I probably wouldn't have like just done the lips of Tim Curry. I think they might have been a little bit um, off-putting to some degree. But, I think but if it, you started off the movie with the lips, that would have been a perfect segue. Oh, he's starting with the lips and then having the segue too. There, two point or like or like the, the first scene where you introduce Tim Curry and like having the first piece of color expanding be right. his lips. But I would probably do it um, the whole thing where like Tim Curry enters the room. And that's when it's just an explosion of color hits the, hits the world. You know, that's the moment where, like, because, like, you have the most, like, you know, um, outrageous take, character. Or when he takes that robe off or whatever, and he does this. He exposes himself, and that just, like, brings the whole world into right. color. Something like that kind that of transition cool. to work. It also kind of reminds me of, like, um, like 
different kind of vibe but kind of what they intended and did and then the film Pleasantville with Tommy McGuire back love in the day too. Pleasantville Pleasantville's a great movie it's that's right one of my favorites too yeah added the list yeah, we'll definitely do that yeah. um, according to interviews Patricia Quinn only took a role in the play because she loved the opening song science fiction double feature she was upset when she didn't get to sing the song in the movie but agreed to lip sync the words as the pair of red lips in the beginning with vocals by Richard O'Brien so oh, nice that's Patricia Quinn's lips awesome uh, theatrical movie debut of Tim Curry, obviously, we talked about. He played Dr. Frankenfurter. Yeah, many uh, other roles. <laughs> the set had no heat and no bathrooms. When Susan Sarandon told the studio heads, they told her she was complaining too much. <laughs> she caught pneumonia after filming the pool scene in her skimpy outfit. According to Richard O'Brien, she was shaking with fever and should have been under medical supervision, but she f- refused to stop working. Oh, my gosh. That's miserable. Yeah, because like this was filmed in the middle of the winter, I think, like in December. So I think oh we'll get my to God. it. Yeah, yeah, no heat and no bathroom. That's That's unacceptable bare minimum you want those kind of things and this is interesting the movie is full of symbols of classic movie companies Warner Brothers The Shield The Griffin Holds Republic The Eagle in the Hall RKO The Lightning Bolt on the Flag and the Radio Tower at the end of it is also RKO Columbia the character of the same name uh, represents not only the movie company of the same name but the symbol also compete uh, with the short hair Anglo Amalgamated Productions, the large Atlas illuminated painting in the Grand Bed Chamber is the symbol of the company. MGM, the large snarling cat in the hall. Universal Pictures, the lighted uh, globe at the end of the film. J. Arthur Rank Organization, the going represents the studio whose movies opened with a huge gong being struck. And Disney, Columbia wears Mickey Mouse ears in the scene in the bedroom with Magenta. Yep. So... Uh, the newspaper that Janet is reading while driving with Brad and can be seen in the, as the Plains Diller. Uh, this is a newspaper uh, of Cleveland, Ohio. Oh. So. <laughs> it's weird. Well, it's, it's Ohio, dude. Well, yeah, yeah, but they're still going with the Americana kind of look, I guess. But, you know, it's still weird. Uh, when the castle is seen at the start, the camera zooms into a, a geodesic dome on top of the castle. You know, the big. Mm-hmm. Observatory yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, this is supposed to be, in fact, Frankenfurter's, uh, you know, observ- uh, laboratory. But this appears very similar to the Crystal Dome in Richard O'Brien's later game show series, The Crystal Maze. So he had a game show called The Crystal Maze. Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, when the castle is seen at the start, the camera zoom... Oh, we just talked about that. You know, I really should mark these off as I go, Kyle. What? No. no. That'd be too convenient. Uh, the Broadway... Yeah, it was Broadway. The Broadway production oh, of The Hero Show starring Tim Curry opened at Belasco Theater in New York City on March 10th, 1974. Awesome. It ran for 45 performances all the way, uh, and it closed on April uh, 5th, 1975, but it was revived in 2001. The mouth on the poster belongs to Lorelei Shark, whose lips and later the rest of her face were later famously used on billboards and ads for Chicago rock station WLUP The Loop. The late great, yes, Vincent Price was offered the role of the criminologist but turned it down due to scheduling conflicts. He was interested in the role as he had seen the West End musical and loved it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, really cool. There's so many clear, amazing homages of like how much they loved so many films Vincent Price was in in the first place, too. It would have been so great to, to have gotten him in the role. Right. You know, not that the detective in the film was bad, but like Vincent Price, come on, you, you don't say no. <laughs> okay, the green surgical gown, the gown that Dr. Frankfurter wears has a pink triangle over his heart. The triangle was used by the Nazis in concentration camps to denote that the wearer was a gay man, but uh, it is pointing downward. The pink triangle pointing upward is often used as a symbol of gay pride. Oh, wow. And you know what? Now that I think about that, Mm -hmm. I guess it was a surgical robe, but I thought it looked like Jackie Kennedy Onassis. (laughs) Or the Queen (laughs) Elizabeth. It was definitely a style, but no, I, 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 Jackie O, baby. That was out there. Okay, Jackie uh, o, you're right, you're uh, right. Tim Curry told Fresh Air interviewer Terry Gross that the original play, he started out playing Dr. Frankenfurter with a German accent, but he changed that when he heard a woman on a bus speaking in a highly exaggerated English accent that reminded Curry of Queen Elizabeth II. See, that's where I drew the conclusion. Nice. He later uh, combined uh, that with the elements of his mother's telephone voice to create Dr. Frankenfurter's speaking voice. He also said that his mother's a pretty hip lady. 
She enjoyed the show, although not as much as she had liked it when he appeared in the Pirates of Peasant because Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, had come to that. Oh, wow. In an interview with Terry Gross on her radio program, Fresh Air Again, Tim Curry said that he got to meet King Charles III and Princess Diana because she loved Curry in this movie. She requested the meeting while he was in production of Love, Your, uh, Love for Love that they attended. Curry recalled that he was placed at the end of the receiving line while Prince Charles only vaguely recognized Curry from seeing him on television. <laughs> Princess Diana told Curry with a wicked smile that Rocky Horror had quite completed my education. It's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, I miss Princess Di, dude. She was, yeah. she was awesome. Yeah. Um, as Brad and Janet drive in the rain before reaching the castle, the radio was playing Richard Nixon's resignation speech delivered August 8th, 1974. Uh, though it is very blurry, uh, Dr. Frankenfurter's castle appears to be near MacArthur, Ohio. The song I Can Make You a Man was inspired by Charles Atlas, muscle ads from the 40s and 50s. Often with the slogan, in just seven days, I can make, make a man. man. Similarly, Rich, writer Richard O'Brien took the line, don't dream it, be it, from the back of a magazine. Uh, the first midnight showing was on April Fool's Day in 1976 at the Waverly Theater in New York City's Greenwich Village. Filming took place from October through December in Bray near Windsor, England. Barry Bossert claims that he was always wet during filming because the castle had a leak. There was one warm room filled with space heaters where cast members took turns warming up until the room caught fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. October to December, so yeah, dead of winter, basically. Just, yeah. oh my gosh. Sweet day, is probably like 40 degrees out. Uh, like I said, filming took place at this Oakley, uh, Oakley Court in Windsor, England. Uh, the same location uh, was used for horror movies, The Brides of Dracula, and now The Screaming Starts, the old, This Old House, and Murder by Death. The castle now serves as a luxury hotel. Uh, the Time Warp was originally written for the stage version to fill space. The original production was only 40 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember also the author was going to say, like, like, might as well have a dance number. So, like, he added a dance number to it. And that, of course, became, like, the most, one of the, probably, probably the most iconic track of the whole, um, love, right. you know, discography soundtrack. Uh, when Barry Boswick pounds his fist on the table during the dinner scene, he actually pounded on the hand of Susan Sarandon. Ooh. But don't worry. The reaction from Sarandon is prominent and real. But she got a revenge accidentally by stepping on Bostwick's foot with her spike tail during the floor show scene his reaction is also visible <laughs> fantastic uh, many movies and television shows have paid tribute to this movie since its debut uh, examples include the Drew Carey show Glee the perks of being a wallflower fame franchise third rock from the sun Charles in charge that 70s show uh, Daria CSI New York Men in Black Halloween 2 Loser and the Vice Squad franchise yeah, that's your Carey episode's great I've seen that your Carey episode and uh, Parks Me and Wildfire is a pretty good movie probably not something we'll ever cover but like a pretty good movie overall a lot of scenes of that um, musical in the film uh, Pierre LaRoche a former personal stylist for David Bowie created this movie's makeup styles he also helped create the signature look of Dr. Frankenfurter I'm gonna say Frankenfurter one of these Frank times Frank, yeah nice <laughs> yeah a cinema located in Munich, Germany, had screened this movie uh, once a week since its release in 1975. They offer special Rocky Horror Picture Show kits uh, containing props to be used during the movie, including a biscuit, a candle, rice, a whistle, and a sheet of paper with directions on how to do the time warp. The same routine was played in the cinema uh, in Milan, any, Milan Italy. Uh, the filmmaker asked Susan Sarandon uh, to perform fully nude during the touch-a-touch-a-touch-me scene, but she flatly refused, even though she had appeared nude in many of her previous films. Which I think that would take away from this movie, too. Yeah, it would kind of, yeah, throw into, a, like, like the last step of raunchiness, I think, right. which went to a degree. That would kind of... Dissuade a lot of a lot more of the audience, I think. Right. You know, because like although this is a you know, a film dealing very you know very much about sex and like sexual identity, um, making it explicit would have been a step too far, in my opinion. On the criminologist's desk, there are two framed pictures. One of it's Franklin D. Roosevelt, a late U.S. president, and the other is Ronald Reagan, who had not yet become president. After 40 years of theatrical screenings and television airings, this movie made its premium movie network debut on HBO Cinemax catalog in 2015, which me and Kyle talked about. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we don't know if it's because of the movie rights or if it was when they were launching their, you know, like HBO, HBO Max, Max service and like that too. I, I guess at some point the rights fell into their lap because of one acquisition or another or whatever kind of deals go on there. All right, Kyle, but, here's yeah. another um, jaw on the floor moment. Jaw on the floor. Okay. According to Meatloaf, 
Mm-hmm. You know, Milo Foot lied to us. Yeah, he never lies. Elvis Presley was the studio's first choice to play Eddie. Apparently, oh, wow. Elvis actually expressed some interest in the role. Wow. Can you see opportunity? I could hear it. That's Yeah, I could really can. Just that would have been awesome. Iconic. Once again, same thing. Like In the universe where Steve Martin and Martin Can you see him driving a motorcycle? Then, <laughs> then Elvis Presley comes out of nowhere. Just like, and then Mick Jagger's Dr. Frankenfurter. If they got the dream cast. <laughs> but you see how the, the, the girls reacted to Meatloaf coming out of the freezer. Yeah. Can you imagine Elvis it's coming Presley. out of there? Of course. It all was, the ladies swooning makes right. entirely sense. Exactly. Versus when Meatloaf comes out, it's kind of a joke. <laughs> right. No offense to Meatloaf, but he just... But he's no Elvis. Meatloaf was never a heartthrob in my mind. <laughs> he would do anything for love. He would. He, but he won't I, do that. He won't do that. <laughs> uh, the budget for the costumes was uh, $1,600. Uh, $1,600. Oh, yep. wow. Now, uh, even inflation, film, not much. <laughs> for filming, corsets for the finale had to be doubled for the pool scene with only one version for drying while the other was worn on set. Over uh, the scene where Dr. Everett Scott is dragged into the laboratory via electromagnetic the production is I realized that they forgot to build a door for him, which we talked about, and he just seemed to come crashing through the door. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wonder if they did that while they were filming or just like, oops, well, this is how we're going to do like, it. Well, yeah, but it's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to throw you through the door. You're going to what? <laughs> uh, some of the costumes for this movie had uh, been originally used in the stage production. Props and set pieces were reused from old Hammer Productions and others. Uh, the tank and the dummy used for the Rocky Horror's birth originally appeared in The Revenge of Frankenstein. Oh, wow. These references to earlier productions, in addition to cutting costs, enhance the cult status of this movie. Yeah. yeah. Susan Sarandon sometimes dislikes talking about this movie because she hates the fact that none of the cast members got royalties from the DVD sales. And I'm telling you what, they probably would have made a killing. Oh, I'm sure. DVD that, that, that's, that's a little case of like literal millions of dollars probably in oh, DVD easily. sales. Easily. Over the years, so yeah, it sucks. Uh, Peter Henwood is only slightly embarrassed by being in this movie. Now he's an antique stealer. Contrary to popular rumor, he's never thrown anyone out of his shop for talking about the movie. He only sees this movie as a part of the past and rarely talks about it. Yeah, yeah, I get that because like it's just the movie where like, he kind of par- he paraded around half naked the entire movie. It's not something you're just like. I did it. It was the seventies, okay. The boy was but, he like, cut, man. He had oh, some oh, muscles. Oh yeah, wow. he was ripped. Absolutely. Like, he, like you, you believe that he is a uh, creation like of a, someone trying to make professional wrestler their yeah. favorite gay man. <laughs> uh, according to Richard O'Brien, it was actually Riff Raff who did most of the work on Rocky Horror. Riff's line "Everything is in readiness, Master. We merely await your word" is a pretty clearly a stab at Doctor Frankenfurter. Mm. Uh, the order in which Frank turns on the colored spigots uh, while creating Rocky Horror was not random. Each color was being rapidly shouted at Tim Curry by someone off screen. During the second close-up, a brief look of confusion can be seen on Curry's face as he scrambled to find the right color. And the reason that's important is because the colors that he was doing is the colors of the rainbow from bottom to top or whatever in the pool. Oh. So he had to make sure that he turned Did it right. right. Yeah. Uh, when Frank is attacking Riff Raff with the whip, Tim Curry is actually cracking the whip against the floor in front of Richard O'Brien. However... Of course. At one point, Curry got a little too close and accidentally hit O'Brien. A slight grimace can be seen on his face as a result. <laughs> uh, this is a cl- included among the uh, one hundred one, or sorry, one thousand one movies you must see before you die. Um, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I could say a lot right there. I certainly um, agree. <laughs> in the wedding sequence at the beginning of the movie, uh, Hillary Farr of HGTV's Love It or Le- uh, List It in two thousand eight plays Betty Monroe. Richard O'Brien stated that when writing the stage play, he actually visited himself playing Eddie, but the director hired for the uh, play felt he would be better fit for Riff Raff. <laughs> I created this. Oh, by the way, uh, you're Riff Raff. No, you're it is what it is. According to Richard O'Brien, the whole shoot just took uh, six weeks. Um, in 2013, Richard O'Brien let slip that Barry Boswick and Susan Sarandon were actually dating during filming. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why their chemistry was so good. Lucky uh, Barry. Did he say Lucky Barry? Yeah. Oh, man. Peter Henwood discovered Rocky Horror's signature tiny gold hot pants in his home in the early 1990s and sold them at an auction. Hard Rock Cafe snapped them up to add to their memorabilia collection. Mm-hmm. According to Richard O'Brien, the skeleton in the clock was a real-life skeleton belonging to the woman who commissioned the clock. In 2002, Sotheby's auctioned off the coffin clock, which sold for uh, 35000 Euro or pounds. Pounds. Wow. 
But it was a real skeleton. Real skeleton in the clock. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. I don't know if I'd be going to have any weird skeleton in my if I have any real skeleton in my house. Well, what was that movie where she fell into the pit of skeletons? Um, Oh, uh, Poltergeist. Yeah, Poltergeist. Uh, yeah, Poltergeist. Yep, that's when we have real, real, real yeah. skeletons, and they didn't tell the crew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Patricia Quinn's hair was not dyed, but sprayed red every day of shooting. Oh my gosh. That's According impressive. to Richard O'Brien, the church was a facade for the inter- interior church scenes. They could only shoot one side of a real church room, as they couldn't afford the whole thing. <laughs> that's. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, there had to have been like counter offers too. It's like, what we, you know, what we charge us to film for the church, and they said like a thousand dollars. Like, um, can we five hundred? Can, can we do half a room? Like, uh, we can't afford that. Can we do half a room? It's like, what? Can we film half a room? Uh, so yeah, four hundred bucks deal. <laughs> just. Oh, man. Uh, the motorcyclists were the same actors that played the Transvenians at the castle. Richard O'Brien didn't understand why, noting that the motorcyclists could have been anyone. Instead, the actors had to change costumes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard O'Brien confessed that at the time he didn't like Tim Curry. O'Brien was resentful and envious because Curry was attractive and got all the good lines. Fair. <laughs> Nell Campbell was known around the set for saying, Nell's the game, Tappen's the game. She was annoying, uh, the tap dancing lady. I was like, really? Oh, I loved her. I thought she was great. Well, of course she did. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go, Kyle. According to our favorite meatloaf, uh, preparations for the motorcycle scene led to several onset accidents. His stuntman drove the motorcycle through the scene, in- including up and down several steep ramps. The bike fell off the top tier and landed upside down, pinning the stuntman underneath. Oh, my gosh. Meatloaf ran over and lifted the bike just enough to move it off of him. The stuntman did not move for some time, but eventually opened his eyes and told everyone that he was okay. He later told him that it was an old stuntman trick to make sure he wasn't suffering any pain or serious injuries before moving. To get shots of Meatloaf riding the bike up and down the ramps, the crew rigged a wheelchair that would hold a set of handlebars and a motorcycle windshield in front of a camera as the crew pulled it up and down the steps. In the middle of the shooting, the wheelchair hit a ridge at the bottom of the steps, sending him flying towards the floor (laughs) and shattering the camera and the windshield. Oh, my god! His stuntman tried to catch him, but the ramp caught the stuntman's leg and caused a serious fracture. Meatloaf also got a deep cut on his head. Man, those stuntmen, those stuntmen and Milo sound like friends now. <laughs> That's her point. Oh uh, my gosh, you got to credit the stuntmen work. Such crazy, scary work. I can imagine you like falling from a top tier and getting pinned in a motorcycle. Terrifying. Uh, in the, there. In yeah. the final scene, inspiration from Magenta's hair was obviously taken from the Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, one of the Transylvanians is an Asian woman with long hair covering her eyes. She is Kimmy Wong, Richard O'Brien's then wife. Oh, wow. In Zoolander 2, an uncredited Susan Sarandon speaks the lines, Touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to be dirty to Hansel, who is Owen Wilson. This is, of course, a direct reference to this movie. <laughs> uh, Dr. Frankenfurter declares one brain was split between Eddie and Rocky Horror. <laughs> uh, Barry Bossick and Susan Sarandon felt unwell during production due to the movie being filmed in the winter of 1974. Bostick was sick with a cold and Sarandon was sick with pneumonia. Yeah, crazy. Moni's worse. <laughs> yeah, uh, this movie is a parody of classic science fiction movies and serials. Richard O'Brien appeared in Flash Gordon as Fico or Fico. Fico. I wonder what his Fico score is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is uh, this is ranked number two in Entertainment Weekly's top fifty cult films of all time, which obviously needs to be number one. Yeah, I agree. Although it has never been really confirmed or denied in interviews, Janet's voice throughout the movie was performed by Susan Sarandon in a high register falsetto. Uh, based on comparisons between her speaking voice and her character's voice in this movie. The jury is still out on the voice of Nell Campbell, who hit ear-splitting high notes during the Time Warp tap dance routine that it inadvertently caused some Patreon lives to suffer permanent psychological damage. <laughs> on, a, on, a walk sh- uh, on a talk show, she once said that her mother used to tell her that she had a voice that could open up a soup can. <laughs> In contrast, Patricia Quinn's magenta character speaks in a darker, more sinister voice, which is ironic because the song to which she lip-syncs, Science Fiction Double Feature, was actually sung by Richard O'Brien, who was singing in a high-range falsetto voice. It's impressive. It's impressive. Oh, you have a face that could open up a soup can. <laughs> what a line. Um, i got to put that in my back book. You know, just for like, just mother. Like, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. 
Oh, uh, director brutal. Jim Sharman said that while writing the screenplay with Richard O'Brien, they were going for a darker version of The Wizard of Oz to the extent that during the Time Warp course, the vocals of the Transylvanian backup singers were sped up to sound more Munchkin-like. Oh, wow. That, 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 no. Uh, writer <laughs> and director Jim Sharman said in an interview that he got much more high-spirited, jubilant performance from the cast during the Don't Dream It, Be It underwater sequence because it was so cold in the studio that he used it as an incentive. The, wired, the wilder it is, the sooner you'll get out of there. When cast members left the freezing water, they would immediately run over to be wrapped in blankets, shivering. This is, of course, when Susan Sarandon caught pneumonia. pneumonia. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like it was a fun time. No, um, no, no. The cast has collectively won the coveted EGOT, the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony. Tim Curry won a daytime Emmy for Peter Pan and the Pirates. We've heard of two EGOT rewards. Susan Sarandon won an Oscar for Dead Man Walking. Barry Bosick won a Tony for the Robber Bridegroom. And Meatloaf won a Grammy for I Will Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. In a July 2021 interview, Susan Sarandon says she didn't plan to audition to play Janet. She just stopped in the set to say hi to her friend, Tim Curry. Uh, while he while she was there, producers saw her and asked her to try out. They said everyone they auditioned so far were good singers, but none of them made Janet very funny, which is what they wanted. Sarandon said no because she can't really sing. In fact, she's kind of phobic, uh, phobic about it. So producers asked her if she could just... Sing happy birthday. She said yes, and they convinced her to do it. They loved her and cast her for the role. Sir, Susan Sarandon admitted that it was all a lucky fluke. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, the 4711 tattoo on Frankenfurter's thigh refers to the original E.D. Cologne in German, uh, which means water from Cologne, a perfume that has been produced in Germany since 1799 and whose unisex nature made it popular among gay men during the 70s. The perfume includes notes of lemon, neroli, lavender, rosemary, jasmine, and tobacco. Uh, we talked about that already. Uh, Tim Curry is the only person in this and the 2016 made-for-TV uh, remake, uh, though he plays a different character in each movie. Yeah, he was the criminal investigator um, in the remake because, well, he was wheelchair-bound. At least still wheelchair-bound to this day. But they got his assistant to do all the dance numbers for him in the office room. When he's saying, it's just a jump to the left, he actually uses the dialogue and the assistant does the work. Uh, really funny scene, actually. Yeah. Uh, most of the actors and actresses weren't told about the prop corpse of Eddie under the dining room tablecloth. When it was revealed during filming, their looks of horror are genuine. The only three who knew were Tim Curry, Richard O'Brien, and Meatloaf, who had to model the corpse. So oh, when they wow. <laughs> impressive work there. If people don't know, this is the scene where they're having a dinner, and the uh, Frankenfurter pulls the sheet off, and there's Eddie laying in like a coffin underneath the table they were eating on. So, yeah. um, and last but not least, not only do Patreons dress up for midnight showings, they often bring props. The most common are rice that's thrown at Ralph and Betty's wedding. Water pistols, the back row squirts them during the rain scene, and newspapers for the front and middle rows to shield themselves from rain, the rain, if you will. A flashlight, there's a light verse over uh, at the Frankenstein's place. Rubber gloves during and after the creation speech, Frank uh, snaps his gloves three times. Noisemakers, the Transylvania applaud Frank's creation. Toilet paper, preferably Scott's brand, throw a roll when Brad yells, Great Scott. Uh, confetti, the Transylvanians throw confetti at the end of the Charles Atlas reprise. Toast, thrown when Frank proposes a toast at dinner. A party hat, when Frank puts on his hat to wish Rocky happy birthday. A bell, when uh, we made it, did you hear a bell ring. And cards, cards for sorrow, cards for pain. The prop for There's a Light was almost cigarette lighters during the original 1970s show, but most movie theaters now ban open flames. A good idea concerning the newspaper. Some fans insist that the toast should be buttered, but many theaters frown on that due to making a mess. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kyle. There I have a go. question for you. Yes, you have lots of questions. The end of the movie, uh, where um, Tim Curry is, uh, or Dr. Frankenfurter is singing his big thing, and he's looking out at the audience, and it's like all those people applauding him and all that. Who are those supposed to be? I think it's supposed to be the world. <laughs> it's just like, like in many respects, like well, or it's I mean, all I the Transylvanians. It, I but I didn't know if it was people from his past, uh, because they were dressed in like a different. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be the Transylvanians from the planet Transylvania. I think it's supposed to be them, and like he, like all he wants is to be loved, and so that's the idea. Like he's imagining the whole world, just like finally seeing him for being like acceptable in their eyes, okay. and so that's all he dreams and wants for. Yeah. Well, I got a few more here on my phone. I forgot. I, I, oh, okay. Uh, sure. So before we go into this, okay. um, final thoughts. Despite all, um, Susan Sarandon looks back at the production fondly and is amused by the movie's continued popularity. In 1993, Sarandon told the Chicago Tribune, "Quote: 
It thrills me that my grandchildren may see their grandmother in her half-slip and bra seducing a monster. <laughs> Fantastic. You go, girl. <laughs> Get it. I don't think I'd want to see my grandparents <laughs> doing that. Um, Tim Curry unsuccessfully tried to attend the midnight screening of Rocky Horror. As Curry recalled on NPR's Fresh Air in 2005, he once tried to call a New York theater that was holding an audience participation screenings of Rocky Horror, only to be told by the ticket agent, you're the third Tim Curry to call this week. <laughs> when he simply went in person to get a ticket, he was thrown out for being an imposter. Curry produced his passport and the usherette apologized, but he ultimately told her, I wouldn't dream of going back in. <laughs> Oh there God. is also, this movie has literal Easter eggs. Mo- many movies have Easter eggs, which are little things hidden throughout the film to be noticed by sharp-eyed fans. But Rocky Horror has actual, actual colored eggs hidden around the set. The crew allegedly has staged a literal Easter egg hunt, and some of them proved so well hidden that they ended up in the movie. That's fantastic. Including one you see beneath Frankenfurter's throne. I gotta rewatch that. <laughs> gotta, see what you can I, find. I keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. Keep that in mind. Now, where are they at? And released uh, in 1984, Shock Treatment defies categorization. It's not a sequel, but it still focuses on Brad and Janet, now played by Jessica Harper and Cliff DeYoung. Uh, you met Betty, or you meet Betty Monroe and Ralph Hapshat, the characters whose wedding Brad and Janet attend at the beginning of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and AD singer Sanita, Sanita, also among the supporting cast. Uh, in the late 80s, O'Brien wrote a script titled Revenge of the Old Queen about Frankenfurter's mother. The film would have taken place on the planet Transsexual in the galaxy Transylvania and would de- detail, among other things, Janet's life after Brad becomes a bottomless go-go dancer and dies after falling from a trapeze. <laughs> you can read the script online. Uh, in 2001, O'Brien said he was working on a script for a sequel to the stage musical, which fans have dubbed Rocky Horror The Second Coming, but the production has so far failed to materialize. Yeah. So, Kyle, let, let's hear your take before... You hear mine. <laughs> sure, sure. Should we end it on a low note that way? But of okay. course. All right, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show is easily a nine out of ten for me. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. You almost made me choke on my water, exactly, Kyle. Exactly. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I love this film to death. I've probably seen it a dozen times, and I love it every time I see it. I think it's uh, one of the best musical films ever made, and um, absolutely deserves its cult following. I think it's great. Um, I deserve its whole legacy. I love the fans for it. I love this idea of uh, representation, outrageousness, and beating something for who you are and just generally being an all-around fun great time that pays tribute to old movies as well as kind of keeping an eye towards the future in many respects if you'd like um, to see Colin of course that dressed up like Dr. Frankenfurter for our live show and who wouldn't <laughs> who wouldn't Jimbo that's what I ask you so oh uh, everyone yeah, yeah. Um, but no I think just you know the, the the feeling of uh, feeling like an outsider and just having this feeling of outrageous you know um, bold exploitation of yourself is a, a really a fun message for a lot of people especially uh, like this one was like made huge waves in like LGBTQ plus communities and all kind of stuff too where they you know they feel like insiders and they want to express themselves and this film is about you know being loud and proud of yourself in many respects too so Tim Curry became an icon in that respect too which is absolutely deserved from a legacy perspective and makes it a great film in that right and on top of that it's just think it's a I think it's a fun film to watch any given time I enjoy it immensely um, so for me strong nine out of ten Jimbo just <laughs> shatter my dreams and be wrong all right. Uh, being totally transparent I have tried to watch this movie probably at least 10 times and I never got past the meatloaf scene (laughs) I I tried and I tried and I tried and I just couldn't do it so I told Kyle I said Kyle we need to cover this movie I said because I need to get through this movie we have to see what's what's here so I forced myself to watch it um, and it didn't get better (laughs) It, it, it really didn't get better um the one thing I will say is I think the prop department did a very good job. There was some great props. Um, I wish they would have done that black and white stuff. I think that would have that would have really added extra taste, extra layer of yeah, quality to it. In yeah, your mind. I think I, it's cinematography. I, 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 I could imagine I, I you cut so. like that. I think it'd be really fun. Um, actually, yeah. I love Tim Curry. Um, even Susan Sarandon. I'm not a big fan of hers, but she did fine. Barry Boswick did fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's. The plot is just all over the place. It's, there's like no real... You go from a wedding 
to a house or a haunted, uh, a castle, if you will, mm-hmm. to a Frankenstein knockoff, a Frankenstein, to, and then it's an alien. Yeah, and then the we're having rebellion. the whole Rocky Horror, uh, the whole castle taking off in a jetpack yeah, yeah. up to the space, and you know, you you it's have a whirlwind of you have Riff Raff that turns out to be like and it, with his sister, which was a whole another separate issue. But he's actually like the main bad guy that's actually taking Tim Curry back as captive to his planet, and it's just it's just really weird. I mean, <laughs> is it? Would you agree it's weird? Yeah. Oh yeah, certainly. Okay, intentionally okay. so. But but I, but I but I think there could have been something here with a better plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't want to say a better line, plot. If you will, uh, yeah. uh, uh, maybe extended this by another half hour or forty five minutes. Yeah. As far as filling in the plot, I won't say plot holes, but expanding on the plot because something that made it may feel like it actually made some. It went sense. straight from here yeah. to there to way out there. Yeah, immediately uh, because you go you go from that, then you go to Frankenfurter uh, making all these people stone like Medusa to dressing them up in uh, corsets and everything and doing this number for him, and, and and it just gets really weird. And it yeah to me. This is not my type of movie. I like musicals. This has some catchy songs, but this movie is so weird to me that I cannot put it above a three. <laughs> and that's just for the set design and Tim Curry because I like Tim Curry. It's just so weird. If you, I understand it's called following. I understand fans love it. I have no problem with that. Yeah. But for me personally, this yeah, is yeah. not. Nothing that I enjoy. I totally get the, I totally get the perspective of like if this isn't for you then you're looking at this and you see ice cream and mustard like what is going on here? yeah, yeah you know? you're like you're like this is this yeah. is I mean because you know we do this podcast and there are some really good uh, you know plots you mm. know you get drug into the characters you love them this this is just a good time if you if you if you were high this might be a really good movie yeah yeah. It's, if, you're like, on drugs, if you're willing really to put your brain in the backseat and just like take it for everything it is, being audacious and crazy, then like it's a fun time, and that's. Like, but I ain't but gonna lie, there is like the time way. warp. Before yeah. we even started, I was up here dancing the time warp. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. I mean, it has some catchy stuff. Yeah, but the, the, the songs have clearly been an earworm for you every time I hear you sing it right. because like it, yeah, it's really just you know. <laughs> right, and uh, the science fiction double feature, I like that to be. But but I mean, you knew you knew you were in for something weird at the beginning of the movie where all you see is lip singing, and you're like. Mm-hmm. The, the, where is this going? You know, they're talking about um, the day the Earth stood still. They're talking about you know King yeah. Kong and uh, Fay Ray's celluloid jam yeah. and it, 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 like trying to say, supposed to like radical. You know, this is like an audacious thing of like it's bold in being exactly what it wants to be. And no, there is no um, attempt at all to make it for you. No, <laughs> nothing but, for but, you. But, 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 yeah. but I, but I, but I think what my concept going into this movie because it is titled Rocky. Horror, horror picture, picture show. show. Yeah, it turns out to be in more science fiction than mm-hmm. it does horror. Yeah, yeah, and even then, comedy and musical well, and, and like that's horror fine. is such a distant. That's third fine, of this but film if they but opinion. if they would have stayed with the horror aspect of it throughout, yeah. or the science fiction throughout, yeah. not both, because mm-hmm. it it's like taking yeah. two genres and melding together, just having them for having sake. Right. you have the hammer problems and all that kind of stuff on. It's set, like Richard know. O'Brien went. Let's let's just see if we can get more ridiculous in yeah. the first half. Of we this got movie. this. We can. So why not? <laughs> right. Kind of attitude, right. which I can appreciate, but also I get when like you say like this is like it didn't work for you or it's a problem right. in that kind of sense. Yeah, you know. I wouldn't go as far as saying it's the worst movie I've ever seen. Yeah, and I think everybody should at least enjoy it at least once. Yeah, at least watch it at least once. Give it a shot. Yeah, I tried ten times before I made myself finish the movie because I wanted to know how it ended because yeah. I was still. When Meatloaf comes through, it's still a horror movie because Tim Curry's character kills the guy with a pickaxe. Or yeah, something, you know, and I mean? then you see his corpse later in the film in the right, table. Right. So it's like those are things like that's real horror movie stuff right there. You know, but underlying um, this is the whole Brad and Janet um, exploring their sexuality. Um, you know, she, yeah. there's a whole underlying yeah. sexual theme there. Uh, it gets really crazy with Frank Furter and both of them. Like, and it's just there's like for for you, I think like. If there were like there are four different versions of an okay movie for you, but there's only one version that can be like like the ultimate like movie or the terrible movie that we're seeing as right now. Like the one it is right now is like for me this is nine out of ten for you is a three out of ten. But like there could have been four others that would have been like it's okay for everyone else. You know, right. if it was just the horror, if it was just the science fiction, if it was just the musical, if it was just the comedy, those all four could have been like okay. But mixing them all together either makes it where it's like that polar reaction of just like either you love it or it's like what am I even doing here. <laughs> and I think yeah. you're basing your your nine just based on Tim Curry, 
and not the movie because I think I'm going with the movie because I really do love the movie a lot. I really do. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying, Kyle, is it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And I say it was like also which, like a big fan which of Meatloaf. You being my co-host, you're all over the place anyway most yeah, of the time. Fair so I yeah. I can see where you would. Be. But but I but I am not going to go as far as say as to avoid this movie. I do think you should give this movie a shot. And that's well, fair. You, you should absolutely check out this movie because like you, you want to know: Are you a person that's going to be on Jimbo's side, or are you going to be on my side, the right side? Right. <laughs> you know, the right side. <laughs> We'll find yeah. out. We'll find yeah, out. Yeah. But, so but to be you know, on that, but, but, but yeah. you know, everybody's got their own taste, and you know, I, like I said, the, the songs are catchy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, we're saying like this is also worth disclaimer. This is an R-rated film for sure. This is definitely a lot more on the sexual progressive side and sexual revolution side of things right. too. So keep that in mind. Well, you when have, you have like, a, a song like "I'm a, a sweet transvestite from Transylvania," Transylvania. you're like. Okay, but just is, seeing the title of the film, you don't know what you're walking into necessarily. You do not know what you're walking into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it started off with so much promise. Oh, even to the time when they got up to the castle, yeah, all fulfilled for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just, and then it just derails. And it goes down seventeen different side things. But Amazing. to me, it's like it's to me, it's kind of like. They got lost in the plot. They didn't know. It was so crazy that, hey, let's just get crazier and crazier. You yeah, know what I mean? Any excuse to go crazier, yeah. That's now kinda I kind of want to watch the Broadway production because I got to see what it was like. The Broadway production or the um, that, that um, 2016 um, reboot, too, also. like It's interesting. Well, as well. I'll have to watch that, too. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I want to see like the original 40-minute version. Did they stick closer to just the Rocky Horror thing? Or did they go to the whole science fiction at the end? The film overall is pretty actually very faithful to it. And there's our YouTube videos that we can watch of the full performance which, going on, too. So we can get around which that. Which is sometime. also crazy, too, because the title song, the when you see it, is uh, Science Fiction Double Feature. So I... Yeah, what does that mean in the context of the rest Except, of the film? Well, almost nothing. <laughs> at the end, yes, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was really weird. So yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully we'll see you guys in just three short days from when this is released. Uh, come see Kyle as Uncle Fester and ADZ and myself as Doc Brown and Marty McFly. It's going to be an awesome show. It's going to be so much fun. I hope to see a lot of people there. So um, I know we sold several tickets and we got, I think we're almost three-fourths of the way full from what I'm hearing. Awesome. So, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, with that being said, you can follow us on the social medias, and uh, this episode's coming to close, and that's a wrap. Rocky Horror Rules, and cut. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) 